Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. It's good to see each and every one of you today. I'm so thankful that you're here, so thankful you're joining us. We're in part seven of our series called From Brokenness to Blessing. If you've missed uh, the previous ones, they're online for you. I I pray that they've been an encouragement to our church. I think they have been. They've certainly been a challenge to me as I wrestle through these beatitudes of Jesus as we're taking each of the eight uh, blessing statements of Christ on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We're learning so much about ourselves and really so much about our our necessary approach to God and how uh, we come to a place today, how we come to a place of peace. And this one, the seventh one is this. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, children of God, peacemakers. This word blessed here, it means, it's this sense of joy. It's this sense of complete contentment that so often we don't feel. And Christ says this is what a major aspect of contentment is this, peace. Now, I really think that one's pretty obvious. All of them are fairly obvious in a way, but if you have a life that's full of conflict, if you have a life that's full of chaos, if you have a life that's anything but peace, you're probably struggling with contentment. You're probably struggling with anxiety, maybe depression, maybe some things. When peace isn't a part of your story, you often really struggle to have any sort of what might be called blessing in your life. And more than that, when we don't live into that peace, when we haven't received it, it's very difficult for us to be what Christ says here, and that is peacemakers. You truly can't be a peacemaker till you've been a peace receiver if you will. And so we're going to spend a lot of time on that today. We're going to touch on this idea of being a peacemaker, but really we're a conduit of God's peace. That's really what's going on here. If you get nothing else today, that's the point of the scripture here is that we would simply hang on to Christ as he pours out peace in us and through us. Now we've been looking through these beatitudes. We're on the seventh. He's already said, blessed are the poor in spirit. We we admit our brokenness, if you will. He says, blessed are those who mourn. We release our grief to him. He says, blessed are the meek, which means we surrender control. That's a difficult step for so many of us. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is, we confess our sins. We come to him in a place of desire for his righteousness. Blessed are the merciful recognizing our continual need for his mercy, his grace. And then last week, blessed are the pure in heart. You can see, I think, how these are really building on each other until you have that humility, until you have that confession, until you have that continual need for mercy. You really can't reach this place of having peace, the peace of Christ. That surpasses all understanding, as the scripture puts it. So we're moving from salvation, from freedom, peace, to now becoming something. Last week was about becoming pure in heart. Now it's about becoming peacemakers. What is this peace that God offers through Jesus? I want you to understand something. We talk about peace all the time in society. In cultures, for for many generations, we've talked about this word peace. And it often has to do with the absence of hostility. That there is no more conflict in your life. That is, my friends, not the peace of Christ. That is a A a come and going kind of peace. That is a happenstance. Understand this. The peace of Christ is the kind of peace that can have contentment in spite of conflict. 
It's a different kind of peace. You don't need this complete, nothing's going wrong in my life, everything's perfect to have this kind of peace. This is different. And that's where he's coming in. This is more like a deeper Jewish meaning, if you will. We've probably heard this term, the word shalom. That's what Christ is getting at here, is having shalom, which is a deeper peace, that, a sense of quiet, a harmony with others, a sense of security, wholeness, a tranquil state of the soul without anxiety, without fear, that has nothing to do with outside. It's internal. The external can come and go. It can, the world can be exploding around you. And you can experience shalom. According to... Here's where we are. I'd rather paint the picture, and you probably don't need me to read this to you because you've got your own sense of this. According to the National Institute of Health, anxiety is ever-increasing in America. A growing state of worry with young adults showing the most notable increases in levels of anxiety, stress, depression, and worry. It is a growing problem, not a lessening. The rise in national anxiety corresponds also with the rise in substance abuse, that people are getting more addicted because they're trying to cope with this lack of peace, if you will. Anxiety is a significant factor, and here's the very sad thing. The longer, the prolonged your substance abuse, whether it's drugs and alcohol or some other kind of coping mechanism, the longer you abuse those things, it damages the body and the brain in such a way that the the regular ways of coping with anxiety as a result have to be increased in over time. That you have to work even harder at it. This is this funny thing the body does. Where the more you turn up the volume on something, the more it gets used to it. It's wild how God has created us. So we can't overcome anxiety. We can't receive the blessing of peace and being a peacemaker in our life this way. We can't do it the way that everyone else is trying and If they would be honest, we know that's not working. We don't overcome anxiety and fear and conflict and all those things with temporary solutions. I need something permanent, don't you? Something permanent. In in John's Gospel, where we're going to be today, chapter 14, this is just a wonderful passage of Scripture. We see Jesus here. He's preparing his disciples to face his soon departure. Jesus is about to go before the Sanhedrin. He's about to deal with the cross. He's about to take on death for us. That is all coming. And his disciples have no clue what this all means, what it's, what's happening next. They're, they're getting glimpses, but they don't understand that not only is he going to die, which terrifies them, but he's also going to be raised, which they could not imagine. These are the things that Jesus is preparing them for. And here... In John 14, he is giving them his peace and teaching them to continually keep themselves thriving in that peace as they understand his mission and plan. We, we can receive this peace of Christ. We can continually keep it as well as we understand his word to us today. So let's dig in. We're in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 27. Hear this. Jesus says to them and now to us, If you love me, You will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. (laughs) I love this. I will not leave you as orphans. 
I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, I love how John puts in parentheses here, careful. This isn't Iscariot. This is good Judas. <laughs> Judas said to him, Lord, how is it? That, we, that you will be manifest, you manifest yourself to us and, and not to the world. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace, hear this church, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. No, far better do I give to you. <laughs> let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. God bless the reading of his word, amen. Receiving and keeping the peace of Christ. How is it that we can do this? Well, first, it's by continually depending on His life as the source of our peace. Not something else. Where is your dependence? That's really the question. Maybe the, the underlying, most important question of the day is, where do I expect to receive peace? Where, where do I hope that I will get a, a and leave uh, some relief from my anxiety, from my struggles. Where do I hope I will find it? Where, and that has something to do with dependence. And so Christ says to them very carefully these things. If you love me, you'll walk with me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll see that when I live, you will live. I love this statement that he makes here in verse 19. Because I live, you also will live. That means I'm giving you a proof. You don't see it yet, but you will see it, that the resurrected Christ is proof that we have eternal life. Not just this life, but life eternal. That's what he's saying here. You will know that I'm, I am life, and it will give you life abundant. He says, if you love me. This is agapao, which is from agape, this unconditional love of God. If you say that you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is... This probably could have been a standalone sermon and isn't really the scope of my talk today necessarily. But so many times we as believers, we don't even like line one of, of, of verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We, we very much would like to just pick and choose some things in here. Uh, but the idea of keeping, this word keep here is tereo, which means to guard, to observe, to, to hold fast to it, that means when I come to the Word of God, I make the decision I am wrong and it is not. Every time, oh, I don't like the way that sounds. I don't know how I'm going to do that. But I go ahead with this bias, and it's a holy one, I think. It is right and I am not. So what do I do with that? He is righteous and I am not. I hunger and I thirst for righteousness, and I know where it comes from. It comes from Him, and it comes through His Word. Okay. Well, if I love him and I, I desire him, then I will keep his word. I will keep his commandments. Now, how do I keep it? Well, I certainly can't keep it unless I've, I'm accessing it regularly. You can't keep something you don't have. You simply can't. 
You, you cannot guard something you know nothing of. And so he says, if you love me, you'll keep it. That means you'll be pouring it into you. You'll be in, in prayer with me. You'll be in constant communion with me. This is why Paul says, pray without ceasing. I hang up, I mean, I pick up the phone in the morning and I'm on the phone with him all day. If I'm driving, if I'm talking, I'm constantly coming back. Lord, did you see that? Did you see what just happened there? Lord, I need your strength. And I'm coming into his word and I'm learning and I'm loving by keeping. And he promises something fantastic to them that flat out I know the disciples couldn't have understood. It's, it's amazing even to me knowing on this side of the crucifixion and the resurrection what he's saying here. I'm going to send you another helper. The word another here is alas, which has to do with another of the same kind. I'm not sending you something different from me in every aspect. So this is this Trinitarian God in view right here. That he is one nature, three persons. I am the first helper that's come. Jesus. I am, I am the helper and now I'm going to send you another helper who will be, be with you forever. Holy cow. That's amazing. I should say Holy Spirit actually. They're not. Holy Spirit. Parakletos. The one who comes beside. The comforter. The advocate. The helper. Here Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. Why that? It's, it's actually pretty rare in the text. He's not often referred to as the spirit of truth. I believe it's here because he's just told us, keep my commandments. That there's something absolutely true in Christ. There's something true in his word. And the spirit's job, part of his job, is to comfort you with the word of God. Now church, this might not be something you've experienced yet. But here's what can happen. Here's what can happen in your life. If you'll just spend some time with Jesus every day, it doesn't have to be a ton. Although I pray, I pray for you as I pray for myself, that the more time I spent with God, the more I hunger for him. That I want more. That it's, it just keeps being not enough. And something happens to me now that didn't happen to me when I wasn't as committed and as devoted. And that is when something happens in my life, good or bad, when I need a fresh word, sometimes the spirit of truth, if you will, Brings to mind something. Maybe in this moment I need to hear this. Boom. And he brings it forth. That's what the Holy Spirit of God is doing. John talks more about this or, or refers to this later in John 16, 13. Where Jesus wrote or Jesus said to them. The spirit of truth when he comes. He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he, he hears he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. This is what the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you, believer, from now until forevermore, that spirit is reminding you of the truth. And it's dwelling with you. This is a fantastic word. And then he goes on in verses 19 and 20 to tell us this. Something really important for the disciples and something we should never, ever forget. He says, in a little while, the world's not going to see me anymore. But you will see me. Now, I think he means two things here. I, I love what one commentator writes on this. This is a, an older fellow, last name Ellicott, in his commentary. He says, The words may indeed have their first fulfillment in the appearances of the 40 days. That means he's already telling them, I'm coming back after resurrection, and the world's not going to notice me, but you will. He's telling them that. But I love what he says next. These appearances themselves were steps in the education which was leading the disciples from a trust in the physical to a trust in the spiritual. Believer, we don't have the same experience they did 2,000 years ago. But Christ Jesus is saying, 
That's okay. In fact, in some ways, you've got it better. And here's why. Because you can know me, you can experience me in a way that generations of people never did. That the Holy Spirit of God has been given to you, believer, from now until forevermore. That is new. That's why when the psalmist prays, often in the psalms you'll hear him say, God, let not your spirit depart from me. Because the spirit has a sense of coming and going in the Old Testament. Not for you, my friend. There's nothing awful you can do. Not to say you have free, a free ride to just go out and sin and carry on. That's not the point. But you know this. Instead of running from you or departing from you as often happened in the Old Testament. No, instead he's that one on the shoulder saying, Hey, my son, this is not what's best for you. He doesn't run. Instead, he convicts. And not just that, he comforts. That's why we believers can look death in the face. This is why we can look sickness in the face. It's not that we don't weep. It's not that we don't mourn. In fact, we mourn all the more, but with better understanding that comes from the spirit of truth. He says, you will know me because I live, you will live. Christ is our peace. I don't know how you've come in here today. I don't know what struggles, what conflicts, what tremendously painful things have been happening in your life, maybe even recently. But here's what I know. All the worldly coping mechanisms, they will only work for a little while. Some are shorter than others. Some might last you quite a while, but you'll find I need more and more and more until you find out what all of us have found out, that there is a There's an abyss in your heart. There there is a void. C.S. Lewis says there's a God-sized void in the human heart. And he's right. That thing is too big to fill with anything else. No coping mechanism will be enough. You want peace? So do I. I want peace so bad. But I can't find it from relationships. I can't find it from substances. I can't find it from sitting on my couch watching football. In fact... I enjoy doing that, but I don't enjoy it very much when it's the place that I'm supposed to find some sort of comfort in. I can only enjoy it when I've already been comforted. It's fascinating. I can only really truly enjoy being a parent, being a husband, when I've already been comforted by the comforter. Then all of those relationships have better meaning, and I'm not trying to receive something that this person cannot give me. Or this thing. Christ is our peace. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2. Now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. And that has to do with an even greater peace. That we now have peace with God. That we could not have apart from the blood of Christ. That we were adversaries, enemies of God. But Christ has made us sons and daughters. What a wild exchange. What a wonderful exchange. This is the Jesus we serve. I want to read just a bite of scripture. This is probably a familiar text to you. Mark chapter 4. Where Jesus is quite literally the embodiment of peace in this story. This is the the calming of the storm story. Mark chapter 4 verse 35. I'll read you a bit of it. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him, him being Jesus, with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling up. And he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke. 
And he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled, <laughs> they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That is our Savior. He is the word of peace, if you will. <laughs> he has power over the wind and the waves. He has power in your life. And it's a strange comfort also to think about as he walks beside me in this world. He is at peace. He is at a sense of rest. That my frustrations, the things that make me angry, the things that I think are going to destroy me. He's asleep in the boat. Because he's like, I, I got that. Why are you still afraid? Well, they got the fear right in the end. I've often heard that. They understood where their awe and reverence really should be, not in the storm, but in the one who calms it. And that's who we worship. Will you decide to continually depend on Jesus, his abundant life, the spirit as your true source of peace? This begins with keeping his commandments, spending time with him and understanding he's the one that fills the void. Here's the second way. We continually keep his word as our light for peace. Now this word keep, I've already mentioned it, it's really the driving force of this whole text. If you want to know what's kind of what seems to be Jesus is coming, what he's coming back to with every point of preparing them for his absence, preparing them that he's facing the cross, he keeps reminding them, keep, keep. He says it in verse 15, 21, 23, 24, several times, and he's saying, observe it, attend carefully, hold fast to it. Why? Because my word is a light unto your path. It's the thing that's going to bring you through. Keep it. Keep his word as our light. Now, now, Judas here asks a really great question. And I don't know how y'all feel about Jesus' answers sometimes. You ever ask the Lord a question and you find it either A, confusing by the way he responds in prayer or in his word to you, or you, you, you almost feel like he's answered a different question you didn't even ask. Just understand this is how people have felt throughout eternity since he's created the world. That I just think God has a sense that, okay, you asked a question, but it wasn't the right one. So I'm going to go ahead and answer the question you should have asked. I love that. It's, it's troubling, I know, to you at times where you're like, I'm really, I'm really wanting the answer to this thing, but God really wants to set you on course, and you're wanting to go the complete wrong direction with this line of questioning. Judas asks him, how is it possible that you can do what you just said you could do? It's really not a bad question. He, he says, look at this, Lord, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us, but not to the world? How is that possible? Did you notice Jesus' response? It seems to not touch that at all. Now I want to argue for something for a moment. I actually think Jesus has correctly answered him here. Just not in the way Judas could have possibly expected. He was probably hoping that Jesus would tell him exactly what would happen. And that is, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be in the tomb for three days. He's told them that. And then when I rise again, I'm going to spend 40 days on this earth walking with my disciples. Over 500 people are going to see the resurrected Jesus. This is amazing. The disciples are going to see him in the upper room. There's going to be appearance after appearance after appearance. He could have said, hey, Judas, that's what's coming. But that's not what he's trying to teach. Because he's got a greater point in mind. What's his greater point? 
You don't need to see me physically. I'm ready to make my home in you, he says. What an, what an amazing... This is not something he does in those 40 days. This is something he does at Pentecost and from then on. This is what Christ has done. Look at this in verse 23. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he repeats himself, he will keep my word. My father will love him. And we, we will come to him and make our home with him. Judas, you want to know how it is you're going to see me, but I got a better thing for you. I got better news, believer. 2,000 years later, believer, I got better news. If you love me and keep my commandments, I make my home in you. I take up residence in this life of yours. I walk with you in every step. My, my spirit guides you and corrects you and comforts you. My word is a lamp unto your path. There is, there's really not many better places in Scripture than for the God of the universe to say, I'm going to inhabit. I'm going to abide in your life. I'm going to... I'm going to make my home. The word here is home. is translated in other places, abode. This is why Paul writes later that our bodies are a temple of God. We are housing. We are his vessels. This is fantastic news. Loving and keeping God's word now brings us this lasting peace where he inhabits our daily life. Psalm 119 says there is a lasting peace for those who love your teachings. Nothing can make those people stumble. God's word is a light to your path. The psalmist writes later in Psalm 119, or actually earlier, he says, Your word is a lamp to my path and a light, or a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That means what we're talking about here is this word of God, which has been widely uh, disagreed with and argued against, but it it just keeps standing up the, the test of time. And some people look at it and say, Well, you know what? There's some pretty good history in there. Oftentimes, this book can really help you in a in archaeology, or if you're trying to discover something, or it often seems to tell us about actual events. And maybe some people even look at this Jesus and say, yeah, he was a real guy, and this is the stuff he did. He was even a good guy, it would seem, but they overlook the d- divine statements of Christ and the things he says about himself. And so many people look at this as, it's loose history, if you will. Or maybe it's mythology, or... You know, there's some people out there that really take that thing seriously, but I just find it to be a confusing read. This is how some people approach the Word of God. It's, but it's none of those things. Yes, it's good history. Yes it's, yes, it's full of these fascinating things about heaven and hell. and Yes, it's filled with even things that are commands of God and things we should do. Like some people might look at it as some kind of to-do list. It's technically none of those things, though. I think most truly it's a map. Most truly it's a lamp. Most truly it's the thing that shines the way. Not only to the Lord, to salvation, to justification, to all of these wonderful theological terms. That's all true. It's a map. It's a GPS, if you will, to the Savior, but it's more. It's something for tomorrow. <laughs> it's something to ha- help you walk through the next step. And a good GPS, just so you know, which the Bible is that and more, a good GPS, <laughs> and I think, I think Apple's pretty poor, to be honest with you. I don't know how you feel about it. Maybe you're like, Apple, Apple's maps are great. Um, they drive me nuts. Um, 
I wish they would tell you when you take a turn that your next turn you would need to be in the right lane to take that next turn. It likes to forget that step. In 0.1 miles, you need to take a right. Well, I'm in the left lane. And what is 0.1 miles? Like, I roughly know what that means mentally. It does some things well. It tells me how fast I should be going, and so there's a speed limit on, on it. And if I look ahead, I can kind of see where the directions are taking me. Some GPSs are better than others. I like to put mine in like another uh, dialect because I feel like it helps me listen better. Like if I can find Scottish, it really helps me. Like I can't, I can't zone out on that one. It's like a random Scotsman in my car all of a sudden. The Bible has a road map. The Bible is far better because here's what Christ has done. Here's what I see in the story of Judas as, as well as any other. And that is, we're asking, hey, do I need to make a left right here, God? And he says... I don't even want to answer that because left is not even close to where I'm going. <laughs> you want to know how you're going to see me? No, I got better news. I'm going to inhabit you. <laughs> I'm going to take up residence in your life. You're not even asking the right question. Will you decide that keeping God's word, keeping God's word is a habit <laughs> more than just I need to get this. I need to get this history in me. I need to learn more. I mean, this book is about learning for sure, but it's a roadmap for your life. It's it's a place that helps you align yourself with Christ, such that you would be a better parent, and a better husband, a better wife, a better worker, a better servant. That's all true. But you read to find <laughs> to find peace in Christ, not to find history. Read until God speaks. This is how I grew up listening to it. Some of you might be asking this question. I don't really have a habit of reading. I would recommend to you, if you don't have a habit of reading this word, don't start with numbers. Don't, don't start with Leviticus. That's, that's a dangerous place to begin for you because it's very difficult. It's difficult even for me, and I know so much of it very well, but I'm still going through it going, huh, i got to do some research on that, and that's where I'm at. I would say start with the book of John, where you're at right here. Where Jesus has these clear I am statements and there's seven miracles of Christ. And the divinity of Jesus is really on display in John. And then maybe right after that, go to the book of James, if you will. Where you get just plain, some of the most plain instruction you can receive. If you don't have a habit of daily reading, maybe start right here in the Gospels. And do this very simple thing. Very simple. Before you even read. Do you know that God knows your thoughts? He already understands where you're coming from. Is it shocking you think to God when you're already thinking in your head? I don't really have a habit of quiet time. I don't know where to begin. God's going to think I'm foolish or something on this. Or He already knows all of those thoughts. And so instead of dodging the question tomorrow morning or, or this evening as you lay your head down or whatever, the next opportunity you get, go ahead before God and say, okay, you know what I've been thinking. Will you speak to me? Just, just, will you show up in this word? I have no idea where this is going to take me. I don't know what I'm even looking for. Will you show up? Speak to me. And then read until God speaks. I bet it'll be sooner than you think. Because he's not far. He desires to spend time with you. Keep his word as a light. And here's the third way. And this is a great thing. You want to know where to get peace? live into to the life of Christ, keep his word, love his word, and then remember, rely on his promise to live in his peace. The promises of God may be the very place that gives you the most peace. When you begin to believe and understand that if he claims to be the Savior, and then he 
tells them, I'm going to be crucified. And then he tells them, I'm going to be resurrected. And then he does all of those things, and there is no grave that holds the body of Jesus. If he has done everything he said he would do, we begin to rely on him all the more. And so if he's promised, and what he's done throughout the Old Testament was with hundreds of messianic prophecies, he's promised a Messiah, and then Jesus somehow miraculously does that, then we begin to go, okay, if God promises something, I think he's serious. And I can rely on that. So now as I approach Jesus here, what has he promised? This is the reason we picked the text. He's promised the Holy Spirit, and then in verse 27, he has promised a peace that will stay with us. Do you see that? Verse 27, I leave a peace with you, a peace I give to you, and not as the world gives peace. Because the world gives a different kind of peace. It's very temporary. The world's peace is temporary. Jesus says, I will give you a peace and I will leave it with you. And the Holy Spirit's going to continue to inform you of that and show you that. This peace, shalom here, he's... He's really talking, he's, we're in a very interesting time period, if you will, in history. Don't glaze over on me on this part, it's okay. Not all of you are like, history, oh my goodness, I didn't sign up for that. We're in a season in the Roman Empire where, where Jesus is in Jerusalem at this period in time. This is the period in time in which God selected to send his Messiah, right in the middle of the Roman Empire. Now I think there's a thousand reasons for that. Most of which being that the gospel was able to spread like wildfire because of common language, the best roads the world had ever seen, a trade language. There's a reason he sent him when he sent him. But also, something miraculous has happened in the world that really had not happened until then and really hasn't happened since this time period called the Pax Romana. That Pax simply means peace, Romana, Roman. It literally just means peace in Rome or Roman peace. It lasted 200 years. 200 years of no great wars in the world. Now we haven't made it, I don't think we've made it a whole year in some time. There's been wars and wars and wars and maybe some of you might see some revelation going on there. I don't know that for sure. But there seems to be constant conflict in our world and yet in this time period... There is peace. And in that very moment, that's when Jesus says, I'm going to give you a peace that the world doesn't understand. I, I know that everybody's thinking, you know, there's, we've got a sense of conflict-free. There's free trade. No, everybody's kind of getting along. Nobody's fighting. And nobody's going to fight all of the whole first century. No wars. Jesus says, it's not the kind of peace I'm talking about. It's not the kind of peace... That you really long for. I'm not going to give as the world gives. No, I'm going to give a peace that transcends. That looks danger in the eye. That, and that's why he ends with verse 27. The same way he started chapter 14. He says, so don't be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be restless, anxious, afraid. In chapter 14 verse 1. He's already told them this. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are, man, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
These are the promises of Christ who answers all of the prophecies of old, is your Savior, has paid the, the ultimate price for your freedom, for your salvation. He has already done it, and here's what He's promised. You don't have to be afraid in this life. You have a peace of God that most will never understand. A peace, in fact, that transcends earthly wisdom. So what do we do with that? What do we do? How do we rely on this promise? Well, here's the simplest thing. Start turning, start turning all those worries into prayers. I know this might sound cliche, but it works. I, I, I know I've heard this a thousand times, and yet when I actually give it a shot, it actually works. Philippians chapter 4, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you turning your, your fears, are you turning your anxieties, are you turning your worry into prayer? I think we as human beings have a habit of dealing with it in so many other ways. There's a lot of you I know in this room, because I have a tendency to do this at times, rather than take it to the one who can actually do something with it, I'll take it to the person uh, or some person that I trust. Often my wife. And she definitely does this with me. Definitely more than I do it to her. But nevertheless, airing out those things with somebody that can respond to you, <laughs> comfort you maybe, I'm probably not always the best comfort to my wife because I'm a problem solver at heart. And so I have to kind of, if I'm doing well, I have to ask her this question. Do you need me to solve this or listen? I'm not always right. I don't always get that right. But if I'm doing well, I just need to say, do you just need me to listen or do you need me to solve it? Very rarely does she need me to solve it. She just needs to vent. I'm not great at being vented to. Church, just do me this favor between me and you. If you make an appointment with me, I'm not here to, to vent to. I'm here to help with hopefully biblical wisdom. But I have no interest in just hearing your problems. I want to help you solve them. But with my wife, I can't do that. She doesn't come. Now, sometimes she'll do me this favor. This is great, y'all. She'll say, I need you to be Pastor Jonathan right now. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'll try to, I'll do my best. It's kind of hard for me to put husband hat off, but I'll do my best. And that's how we help each other, but. Here's what I know. Here's what I know for certain. That helps temporarily. That, that sort of helps to kind of get it off my chest, but it doesn't fix anything. And if it's a really, really tricky thing, if it's really something tough in my life, that's never going to be enough. And that anxiety is going to well up. And some of you in the room, like you've been avoiding some confrontations in your life. There's, there's conversations you've been meaning to have for days, maybe weeks, maybe years. And it has been eaten at you for a long time. And you've aired it out to a lot of people you love and trust. But it's still there. That aching feeling. And the reason being is because you've not taken it to the person who can actually do something with it and about it. Now, is he going to tell you, hey, you need to give that person a call? Probably. Oh, that's, the, that's what I don't want to hear. You're going to hear it. Do you want peace or something else? What do you want? If you want peace, he's the peace giver. Is he going to tell you to do some things that are challenging at times? Well, the only way to receive peace is to actually confront the problem. You can't have reconciliation 
when everybody just keeps their distance. Yeah, he'll drive you right to the, to the person to reconcile. That's what he's going to do. That's okay. That's good. It may hurt a little. Rip the band-aid off. Anxiety, just so you know, is not necessarily wrong. There's nothing wrong in you if you're living in a state of anxiety or worry. In fact, anxiety is your body's natural fear response. It's what your body is supposed to do. It's engaging what we call the fight or flight response. Something challenges you, something becomes a conflict in your life, and your body reacts physically and mentally to prepare you to either fight it or run from a threatening situation. So then you get shortness of breath. You might feel a tightness in your chest at times. You feel stuck, a fog mentally. Some, some practical tips are pretty helpful on this. Things like slow down your breathing. Just focus on that. That's, yeah, it's actually helpful. It's not the answer. Some call this being mindful, having mindfulness. Prayer is like mindfulness that actually really works. That actually really solves a problem. I'm going to do more than control my breathing. I'm going to do more than handle this stress, this conflict, this thing that's got me all uptight and stuck. More than just going, I'm going to turn that into, Lord, help me. I'm a sinner. I need, I'm in desperate need of a Savior again today and tomorrow. And I don't know how to handle this person, this situation. I don't have any money in the bank. Some of it's my mistakes. But then this happened. I don't know how to handle this disease I'm fighting. I don't. Rather than just deep breathing, mindfulness, I bring it before the one who can make changes. And here's what he'll do. He'll either fix the scenario or he'll make you ready to face it. He'll do one of those two things. You may be praying, hey, solve this in my life, and he doesn't do it. And you might blame God for that. But I would encourage you, my friend, that his response isn't always to, to uh, heal the thing. Sometimes it's to prepare you to go through it. Because he's trying to heal your heart more than your sickness or whatever it is. His desire is Christ-likeness. Not that everything would be perfect. Perfection is in glory. We're going there one day, but right now he's working on our hearts. Put aside your former habits, my friends. I hope if nothing else you've been convinced today that the things you've been doing to try to cope, the things that you have done to make for peace that don't work, and you've tried and you've tried, I pray that you'd put them down today and say, no, I know where the peace of Christ comes from. The real peace I'm longing for, it comes from him. We've been speaking for weeks about this, this ministry that we're trying to get off the ground. It's meeting at our Wilson campus on Thursday nights. It's called Celebrate Recovery. And along all of these steps, it's a great help to you. This is a place where you can go if you're really struggling in this area. Not being able, maybe not being able to receive peace and certainly not being able to give it. Because you have no peace for yourself. If this is an area you feel stuck, you're not free in this place. I would encourage you to go on a Thursday night and get help in this very area. They say help and, and helping you with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Here's the steps we've been already going over. We've got one more week left, church, but it's the acronym recovery. And the R means realizing I'm not God. I've got a problem and I need help. E is earnestly believing that God exists. I know that God's the answer. C is consciously choosing to commit. This is I'm giving my life to Jesus now. I'm making a step further. 
The O is openly examining and confessing my faults. I'm casting my sin, my shame, my guilt on the Savior. V is voluntarily submitting to make changes by God's power. I'm asking God to transform my character. Last week we spoke of evaluating our relationships, that I would get my vertical and my horizontal right, God, to help me reconcile all of these. And then this week, reserve a daily time with God, that we would keep his commandments. He says, if you love me, you will keep my word, and my word will be what gives you a long-lasting, eternal peace. Will you depend on his life or as a source of peace? Keeping his word as your light and relying on his promise. Let's pray now together, church. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would guide us in this week. That I, It's hard to know how people are receiving this word today. It's hard to know by their faces. But I know one thing for sure. I don't have peace always. In fact, to my sadness, I often don't. I'm often trying to, to struggle through this life that throws me all kinds of curveballs, as it does all people. And that God doesn't always remove those things, those hurdles, those difficult situations, those people that just frustrate me. He doesn't, he doesn't tend to just get them out of the way. Rather, He seems to desire to help me walk through it. He seems to desire to want to help me navigate this valley rather than just remove me from it. God, I recognize that's often where I am today. That in order to be a peacemaker, someone who gives peace to others, I often struggle with my peace. This contentment in spite of circumstances. God, would you do a work in us this week? I recognize that so many of us, including myself, we're trying to cope with the dangers of this life in a lot of ways. And often it's not you, God. I'm praying you would bring that to mind right now. Bring it to my mind. Bring it to your sons and daughters right now. My son, this is the thing, (laughs) you fill in the blank, this is the thing that you're trying to do to replace me. And this is why you don't have the peace you so long for. It might be a list of things. It is for me at times. Heavenly Father, first of all, I repent of that. That I would ever try to put something temporary, something that's going to eventually be dust, something, (laughs) anything like that, that I would put that in the place of a holy God. I repent of that today. When I think about it, I know how foolish it is. And yet in the moment, I often go with quick and easy rather than good and permanent. God, I repent of that. and I lift up that, those things from your people and I, we lay them at your feet now, Lord. Help us to see those ways in which we try to achieve peace apart from you. I pray you would bring them to mind and move them aside. That you might be our peace. God, help us to know what that means. I'm praying for your church this morning. I know we, many of us are riding a roller coaster in life when it comes to our, our time spent with you, our devotional life, our prayer, our, our time keeping your word and, and devoting ourselves to your word. Often we ride a roller coaster in that area. I pray that you would just really show up in a mighty way this week. And as, as, we, as we decide today, I, I do love Christ. I, I do love him. And if he has challenged me to keep his word, then I long to do that. I desire to do what Christ has commanded me to do. If that's you, my friend, this morning, I pray he would bless it. That he would show up in a powerful way in in your reading, in prayer time with you. 
that you would see the move of God, his hand at work in your life. God, we want this blessing. We want it desperately, that we would have peace and be peacemakers. Help us to be that as a church. I think that would be the thing that brings people in more than any other word, more than any other thing in this city. We can do a lot of things to help our community. We can do a lot of works out there that would be wonderful, and perhaps we should do many new things. But I know this, if we would genuinely be peacemakers in in our town, that we'd be the kind of people who are peaceful, have a contentment from God, and make peace with others, that would be attractive. People desire that. I pray you would do that in us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.